Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our Bible study, our teaching this morning on the four prayers of Paul. But before I get into all of that, let me just announce too that all our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all of those who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings. And just so you know, if you don't know how to do that, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to our gift page and you can give uh, anywhere from the world electronically there. If you'd rather mail us a check, you can do so. Make a check payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page in the footer is our mailing address. And you can find us there. Okay? And just so you know, a lot of people do ask us to, have asked us to either come to their country or come to, uh, to uh, speak or do a Zoom call or whatever. I am willing to do that, but, well, some of that. We're not traveling right now. But we are willing to have a, uh, a personal Zoom or whatever meeting to your, your village or community or whatever that might be. However, I need you to contact us first through our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. We don't use Messenger. We don't use WhatsApp. Uh, you know, so don't put don't put your phone number. Don't put all your contact. Don't put your email in the comments. Contact us to give us that information. If you put your contact information in the comments below, I will delete it. Also, this is not a place for you to solicit your ministry, your orphanage, or whatnot to ask us to donate. Okay, do not do that. I will delete those things. Okay. Uh, I do not want that to be solicited to the people who are watching, okay? And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not trying to be mean. There's a time and place to do that, but not on our timeline, not in the middle of our message, okay? So as a pastor, that's my rule. And so, uh, anyway, thank you for respecting that, and uh, uh, we're all good. Uh, I do want to contact you. I do want a uh, communication, but there's a way that I want to do that, okay? And so, anyway... Uh, just so you know, too, we will not be having Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. We have some other matters to attend to today, and so we will not have our regular Bible study tonight. We will have our Bible study, though, at 7 o'clock um, on Wednesday, and so we will do that on the Believer's Authority by Andrew Womack. So no Bible study tonight, but there will be Bible study on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on the Believer's Authority. Okay? So without all that said, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We have a lot to cover. We are talking about the four prayers of Paul. And people have asked me many times during this study, so Paul only prayed four prayers? No, I have said that in every study, but at the same point in time, I'll say it again. Paul prayed more than four times, okay? And there's more than four prayers in his letters. These are the, probably the longest four prayers. This, the one we're going to cover today, is probably the shortest of the is the shortest of the four that we're covering in this study. But these are four prayers that uh, I have used all my life in my own walk with God, and these are four prayers that I have used all in all my ministry as a pastor and minister and ministering to other people. Okay, I use these all the time, especially the first two that we've covered the last five weeks. Okay. Today we're going to be going into the third, the third prayer in the Philippians. But let me just say this again. I've said this every week, but I want to say it again. Why are these prayers so important to me? I believe that all of us as New, New Testament believers, as Christians, we are all where we are in our faith in Jesus Christ because of Paul. 
Now, another pastor might preach the gospel to us. Another pastor might have our minister, our evangelist, our bishop, or whatnot, may have shared Christ with us. But they got their revelation that they shared Christ with you for Paul. So, most all of us, I believe, in the New Testament are beneficiaries of Paul's teachings. He's not a pastor, he's an apostle. At the same point in time, I believe he has a pastor's heart. And his pastoral apostolic heart, if I hate to put it that way, comes out in these prayers. Paul is not just praying for us, he's telling us what his prayer is. And by telling us what his prayer is, he's telling us what his heart is. And I don't know about you, but I want to understand what Paul, there's something Paul wants us to know. There's something that Paul wants us to understand. And, and in many ways, he echoes the same thing in, in, in a different way in all four of these prayers. There's some different aspects of each prayer, but there's some, some things that he says in all four of these prayers. And if Paul is, for in, in each of these letters to Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, the church of Colossae, the church of Philippi, he's writing to the church, multiple churches, and he's communicating his heart in, a, in prayer form, and there's something he wants us to understand. And as a pastor, there's something I want you to understand, and I want you to understand Paul's heart. And more importantly, I'm not, we're not trying to really dissect Paul's heart. We're trying to dissect what Paul's heart is trying to reveal and communicate and get us to understand. So I hope you hear that. That's why we're doing this. Because there's something... Paul has some very powerful things to say. And the, 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 the apostle by which most of us have our revelation of Jesus Christ from, have any revelation of the new covenant from, and grace and the gospel, is because of Paul. It behooves us to understand his heart as he prays for us, the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? So without that further ado, let me list the four prayers again that we are covering this teaching. This is week six. We will have a total of eight teachings in this this uh, session, okay, we done, and so the four prayers are Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 23, Ephesians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 1, and then Colossians chapter 1. Those are the four prayers we're covering. Again, Paul prayed more than four prayers, and there's more, more than four prayers. Some of the other prayers that Paul prayed, they're like just one line or one sentence or whatnot, but these are what I consider longest. Today we're going to be covering, well, the first, we spent two weeks on the first one, in Ephesians chapter 1. We spent the last three weeks in the second one from Ephesians chapter 3. And then today we're going to uh, focus on Philippians chapter 1. It's only three verses. This is the shortest of the three. And in the next two weeks we're going to spend time with Colossians chapter 1. Okay? The, the last of the four prayers. I thought we would be done with this in September, but it's going to take the, the full month of October to finish this as well. So, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So today, again, we're going to be focusing on the third prayer, Paul. Philippians chapter 1. Okay, so with that, with that said, let's go ahead and read this prayer from Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. <coughs> Excuse me. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Excuse me. So again, this is the shortest of the four prayers that we are covering in this study. It's only three verses long, 
But let me recap some things real quick here at the beginning that Paul prayed. Paul prayed that, uh, first of all, our love would abound in the, in the knowledge and discernment of God's love. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on that this morning. The second thing is that he prayed that we may approve the things that are excellent. And then thirdly, that we would be genuine and sincere without offense. Okay? There's some more things we'll, 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 we'll touch on, but we're going to highlight these three things. So as we talk about this prayer, we talk about the things Paul prayed for, the three things that I've listed here. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to focus on this first one. That our love, how Paul prayed for our, our love would abound in the knowledge and discernment of God's love. You know, this, this whole knowledge and discernment, especially knowledge, has been a repetitive thing that Paul has prayed in every prayer. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about knowledge in the first prayer of Paul, the second prayer of Paul that we covered, and now again in the third prayer. And you're going to see this again next week in the fourth prayer. Knowledge. When, when, when Paul says the same thing over and over again in a prayer, there's something that he wants us to understand. There's something he wants us to know. Okay? But in this particular prayer, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. So there is an increase. Is it a growing knowledge? We are growing from grace to grace, from faith to faith. Okay? Is that not true? From glory to glory? And... Here's another one of those, and more and more, <laughs> okay? That your love may abound. We spent a lot of time talking about love in the last prayer. That you would know the depth of his, the height, the depth, the width of his love. That you would know his love that surpasses knowledge. That you would be filled to the, with the fullness of God. We spent a lot of time talking about that. We spent three weeks really talking about that last, uh, and love and knowledge in the last teaching. We'll recap a few of those things because I may relate to our teaching this morning in a moment. But in this prayer, <coughs> excuse me, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge of discernment. In other words, one thing I want to cap capitalize right now is that our love increases through knowledge and discernment. Okay? I'll deal with the discernment in just a moment, okay? But let's deal with this, <coughs> this knowledge part because. These two things are needed so that our love can increase, according to Paul. Okay? So again, and, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Again, we're going to deal with this discernment in just a moment. Let's, let's capitalize on this word knowledge. Okay? Now, knowledge, we've looked at... I want to go here real quick. We've looked at two... Forms of the, this word knowledge in our last teaching, in our last teaching on uh, the, the second prayer that we covered. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, we talked about how, and this week, we dealt with this last week, the last two weeks. <coughs> Excuse me. But where Paul prayed that we would know the love of Christ, which passes or surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the force of God. These are two different words for knowledge. What are those two different words? The first one here is gnosis. It's an intellect. Well, actually, no, excuse me, I'm saying it backwards. The second one here is gnosis. It's the intellectual or doctrinal, fundamental understanding. That's what the word means. But this first one, gnosko, is a personal experience, an intimacy. 
So that, you know, this intimacy, that you would know the intimacy which of God. That you would be intimate. You know, most of you know, some, some of you might know about my wife. Some of you don't even know who she is. You, some, a lot of you know her because she's teaching with me usually on Sunday night and Wednesday night. That's the best some of you even know of her. And those of you who are maybe good friends of ours or whatever, you might know her a little more than others. But I'm the only one in the room that knows her intimately. Okay? And I'm, I'm not just talking about from uh, a sexual point of view. You know, you can be intimate with somebody emotionally and have a deep relationship, friendship with them and not be anything improper or, uh, okay, or whatnot. So the, the intimacy is not just sexual uh, uh, orientation type of stuff. Okay? It, includes, it can include that, especially in a marriage, where it should, the only place it should uh, take place. And when it's done properly in marriage, it's a beautiful thing. But when it's outside of marriage, it's an ugly thing. And, it's, uh, and, and so we're not going there. But my point is there's two different kinds of knowledge that we're talking about here. But there's also a third kind of knowledge in Scripture, and that's the word epigenosis. And that's the one that's being used in this verse in, in, uh, in uh, Colossians. But we also saw this epigenosis in Ephesians chapter 1. But this, let's deal with this word real quick. This word means, let me just take out the other two off the screen. It's recognition, perception, intuition, discernment, which we're going to deal with in just a moment, and acknowledgement. Okay? It's a, it, 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 it's, it's different. It's not intellectual, and it's not intimacy or exper experiential knowledge. It's the, I guess one of the words I really like in this definition is perception. It's an intuition, okay? And also that word discernment, and that keeps coming up, okay? But we saw this, this word, epigenosis, in our first prayer, Paul, when Paul prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay? The word knowledge keeps coming up, but there's different forms of this word knowledge. Okay? We've also, we've also seen this word, and we're going to spend some time on this in just a minute, but I'm going to highlight the verse here. But it's in 2, it's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That word in both of those cases, in verses 2 and 3 in 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, is epigenosis. Okay? Or epigenoko. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the Greek right, but I know, I know it's, uh, it's that word. It's also using the word Philemon. By one of my favorite verses, Philemon verse 6, says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that which is in you in Christ Jesus. That is the same uh, uh, Greek word there as well, epigenosko. We're going to deal with these two passages of Scripture in a little more detail in just a moment. But let's go back to Philippians real quick. And this I pray to you, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and discernment. Let me just say this off the back. We said some things, we're going to, get some, we're going to say some more things. But love is based on knowledge. Okay? And when you fall in love with your spouse, or you fall in love with somebody, you don't really fall in love with someone if you don't have any knowledge about them. If you don't have a perception about them. Okay? 
How many know all relationships are relationships are built on trust? It's going to be hard to love someone you don't trust. And how are you going to trust someone you don't know? Okay. Um, when you first met your spouse, they were a stranger. <laughs> okay. But you got to know them. That's why here in the West we go on dates. We get to know them. And sometimes when we get to know someone, we're like, we might like you, we can associate with you, but I'm not marrying you. Okay? Uh, that, 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 can, that can be a good thing. Okay? But our love can increase with the correct knowledge. If you have the correct knowledge about God, your love for Him and for others and for yourself can increase. However, our love can diminish with the wrong knowledge. And some people have the wrong knowledge about God. Whether that be religion, or whatever that might be. And because they have the wrong knowledge about God, their love towards God has diminished or doesn't even exist. Okay? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3, our, our second prayer that we've covered so far. Paul prayed that we would know, and intimately know, the love of Christ which surpasses intellectual knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The key to unlocking this mystery, and we've talked about this mystery in this, this teaching so far, especially in the first two prayers of Paul. The key to unlocking this mystery is understanding there are different kinds of knowledge. Because otherwise we can get confused. We need to understand that there are different levels of knowledge. There's an experience or intimate knowledge. There's also an intellectual knowledge. <coughs> and there's also a perception or discernment type of knowledge. Okay? All three are important. None of these different kinds of knowledge are not important. I believe the one that is supreme of these three kinds is being intimate with God. Because Paul said in this prayer, let me go back to it, that he prayed that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay. So that tells me that one is supreme. Let's go forward though. Experiential knowledge surpasses intellectual knowledge. That's what I just said. Okay. There's three different kinds of knowledge that we've covered so far in Scripture. And experiential knowledge, which we talked about last the last two weeks, it surpasses intellectual knowledge. And experiencing God's love surpasses knowing about his love. That's basically saying the same thing, just in a different way. Okay? So, let's go back to Ephesians 3 one more time from last week. Paul prayed, in the prayer that we covered last week, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, may, that you may be being rooted and grounded in love, may be able, I, miss, I put the may in the wrong spot, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Paul wants us to know the full dimension of God's love. <coughs> God's love. That we would comprehend it. Okay? God wants everyone to know the full dimensions of his love. Why? Because God is love. And God speaks love. And I mentioned last week, anyone who's speaking law doesn't understand God because God, doesn't, God speaks love. He doesn't speak law. Okay? So those who are speaking love don't even understand what God's saying because he's speaking love. He's speaking a different love language. Okay? Um, they say there's five different love languages. Well, God is love. Okay? He's agape. 
but God is agape. So agape is not a verb. It's not an emotion. It's a noun. It's a person. And God is love. Experiencing God, because experiencing love is God. God is love. Experiencing God surpasses knowing about God. I keep saying the same thing because I want to draw that in. And Christianity is not a religion where we just know about God. Christianity is a loving relationship knowing Christianity is a loving relationship with our Father. So experiencing God, again, surpasses knowing about God. And Paul wants us to experience God. In other words, he wants us to experience love. I guess that's what I have right here from my slide. Love is based on knowledge. And we all have experience. What have we all experienced? We've all experienced an increase of love for someone who has done something special for us. Excuse <coughs> me. If you had a friend or a spouse, a relative, a family member do something special for you, like your mom or your dad or your father or a friend or a stranger, when someone does something special for you, your love for that person increases in that moment. Now, yet, when you feel when you feel loved. Don't you feel like you've experienced something about that person that makes that love increase? Okay? But we've also experienced a loss of love discovering things someone has done to hurt us. When someone betrays you, someone hurts you, when some, someone talks gossips about you behind your back, or when someone insults you, or when someone does something to hurt you, your love diminishes. That's what happens in marriages sometimes. Because sometimes we don't operate on agape love. We operate in the flesh kind of love. And how many of you know, we don't always wake up bright and cheery every morning. Sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of bed. Sometimes if someone just looks at you wrong, you, you get mad. Sometimes there doesn't even have to be a reason. Okay? We all, from a natural point of view, we all operate or have operated in a natural form of love. But when someone does something to, when someone does something to help us and, and does something special for us, our love for them increases. But when someone does something negative to us, our love for them has a potential of diminishing. Okay? Through God, through Christ, we can protect our hearts from, from just writing people off right away. And, and forgiving people and, and, and reconciling with people. But our flesh loses a sense of that love uh, if God's not involved. And I'm making, but I'm making sense. I'm just, let's take away the spiritual just for a moment. From a natural point of view, when someone does something special, our love for them increases. And from a natural point of view, when someone hurts us, our, there's a loss of love or a diminishing of that love. Okay? And respect for that person. But we have also experienced our knowledge, is, our knowledge influences our love. What we know about what someone has done for us, good or bad, that knowledge influences our love for that person. And the more we know about God, what He has done for us, our love increases. That's why His goodness leads us to repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. You change your mind, you'll change your behavior. You change the root, you'll change the fruit. Love is a fruit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And Paul said in Galatians 5.16, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh can be hurt. But if you walk in the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, whatnot, yeah, it can increase. And so, and how do we know that? Because we know the spirit. We know God. We just had a teaching not too long about experiencing uh, the, the spirit of faith. We, we also had a teaching on knowing the Holy Spirit. Okay, the more we know God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it influences our love for God, it influences our love for ourselves, and it influences our love for one another. We love because He first loved us. We have to experience His love so that we can minister and manifest that love to other people. But you will not... You will not love God, you will not love others, and you will not love yourself the way you should unless you do not know God's love for yourself. That is impossible. That cannot happen. And if you think you can love God, others, and, 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 and yourself without knowing his love for yourself, you are dead wrong. The Bible calls that, that God be true and every man a liar. It also says, how can you love uh, how can you love you? How can you say you hate your brother who you do see, but you, uh, and love God who you don't see? Uh, John calls that man a liar too. Our love, we, we, where does love start? It starts with knowing God's love, experiencing God's love, discerning God's love for himself. In other words, the more we know God's love for us the more our love will abound for God towards ourselves and towards one another. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, but most of us don't even love ourselves. And so we love our neighbors just like we love ourselves, and we, we talk trash about ourselves all the time. You know? But the more you know God's love for us, the more our love for Him, ourselves, and others will abound. The Bible says that, and I believe that. I believe the God, okay? Let's go back to Philippians. And he says, Paul is praying that I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Let's go back to Peter real quick. Where this word, the same word for, the same knowledge word is used. Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. We, can, we have grace and peace. We get people praying all the time. I want more grace. I want more peace. But where do you, how, how do you get more? It's multiplied. Not just adding. How do you know? There's one thing I remember learning multiplication uh, in fourth grade. I think that's when I really began to learn it. And <coughs> one thing I learned about multiplication is that multiplication is different than addition. Okay? When you add one, one, two... Three, four, that's fine. But when you multiply something, the number goes up a lot faster. It doesn't, <coughs> you'll notice this in the book of Acts. At the beginning, after Pentecost, God added to the church. And then a few chapters later, you'll see that the church began to multiply. In other words, multiplication increases something a lot more than addition. Okay, That's just a little small point. That's not a major point. But my point is, Grace and peace can be multiplied to you the more that you know about God and Jesus Christ your Lord. 
and the word epigenosco that we're learning, the more that you perceive, the more that you, we're going to see this in Philemon, the more that you acknowledge God in your life. Am I making sense? Okay. I don't know. I can't see your faces. So, uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God, of our God and, and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His, his divine power has, not going to give, but he has, past has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Look, everything we need, everything you need for life and godliness comes through knowledge. Okay? Why? Why does everything we need come through knowledge? Because Jesus has already given us everything we could ever need when we became born again. When you became born again, you received everything you already need. How is that so? The Bible says the kingdom of God is like a seed. And for example, an apple tree. Everything that apple tree needs is in that seed. The tree itself, the trunk, the, trunk, the, 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 the bark, the sap, the leaves, the blossoms, the, the apples themselves, and then the seed that within the apple. Everything that tree needs. When a dog is a, a dog, when that, when 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 uh, a male and a female dog did get together, and a puppy is a, a, a litter is conceived in that mother's womb. Okay, everything that puppy needs: the head, the tail, the nose, the mouth, the belly. Okay, the paws, the tongue. Everything that the personality, everything about that, that dog is in that seed. And every seed is to, 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 to reproduce after its own kind. The same thing with humans, the same thing with insects. Okay? An ant looks like an ant. A goat looks like a goat. A kangaroo looks like a kangaroo. Male and female. Okay? Anyway, I can get on so many tangents. But Peter says in 1 Peter that we are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through the Word of God. When you are born again, everything you need is in that seed, the seed of Christ. Am I making sense? You can understand how the kingdom works by understanding the seed. The seed, all that seed needs is is a soil, good soil, water, and sunshine. And over time, to, to Paul prayed, I want to get back to you real quick, that we go more and more. We may abound. There's a growth. There's an increase. There's a, there's a gestation and germination and growth maturity. And as we grow more and more, that seed comes through knowledge. It's birth through knowledge. How do you become born again? You heard the gospel. That was seed. The moment you heard the gospel, it was seed. When you received it, it was planted into your heart. And you watered it to come into church and hearing the gospel and hearing and being disciples through discipleship. That seed grew. But in that seed, and we're going to see this more and more when we get into Colossians next week. But in that seed is everything you need. But you can't operate in everything you need if you don't even know you have it. 
Some of us, most of us, are still asking God to do something He already gave to us in C form. We need to know what we have. We need to grow more and more. Our love will increase more and more the more we know Him, the more we discern what we have. Am I making sense? Why? Everything we need comes to the knowledge. Why? Because everything Jesus has already given us, Jesus has already given us everything we could ever need when we became born again. Everything that apple tree needs. You don't need to add anything to the apple tree. You might need to, you need to water it. You need to give it some sunshine. In some cases, you might fertilize it. But you, know, you, can't, you can't add anything to the seed because everything that, is, that, that tree needs is in that seed. Okay? Jesus said, and uh, I mean, John said of Jesus, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. When you receive Jesus, you receive everything that he has and everything that he has. I hope I'm making sense. And we'll see this more in Colossians, but we'll go to Colossians 2 just for a moment. For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. We talked about principality and power in, in, in the last two prayers. But you are complete in him. Everything you need for life and godliness is in him. But you need to know what you have. You will not operate in what you have if you don't know you have it. See, Christ indwells in every believer. Some of the things I'm showing right now in slides are things that we covered in the last two prayers. And Christ indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. We are complete in him. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the household of God. And as believers, we are a constantly growing temple inhabited by God. We got that out of Ephesians chapter 2 from last, the last two weeks. And Paul prayed for in Ephesians 3 that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you have the fullness of God, you don't need anything more. You need to know what you have. You need to experience and know what you have. Just because the, 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 the intimacy of the love of Christ passes knowledge doesn't mean you don't need knowledge. You need knowledge too. It just surpasses it. They're both important. Okay? Experiencing God surpasses knowing about God. And experiencing God causes us to be filled with all the fullness of God. It, it causes us and it leads us to be filled with the fullness of God. In other words, if we are not full of God's fullness, then we are not experiencing God. I'm just letting that sink in a little bit. God's love is experiencing God. You can't know God's love and not experience God. That's an oxymoron. God's love is something we experience. And God's love is the key that unlocks everything God is. Because God is love. Because I'm going to say what I'm going to say before I have the slide, okay? If a true revelation of God's love makes us filled with the fullness of God, 
not being full of God means that there is a lack of understanding and experiencing of God. Love. Let me say that again. If a true revelation of God's love makes us filled with the fullness of God, then not being full of God means there is a lack of understanding and experiencing God's love. We said this last few weeks, but the mystery which has been hidden from all ages, from generation to generation, but now has been revealed to the saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the fullness of God, is in you, his love. If God is love and his fullness is in you, then you are full of love. But you're not going to operate in love if you're still trying to get something he's already given you. How do you receive something you already have? I can't, it, you know, if I gave you my iPad, if I gave it to you, you have it in your hand, and then you ask me to give you my iPad, I can't give you something that I already gave you. But if you don't know you have it, you can't use what you don't think you have. You're still trying to get my iPad when I gave it, already gave it to you. <coughs> okay? We also talk a lot about the riches of His glory is Christ in us. We are rich with Christ. Because there's a lot. Folks, there's one thing I'm trying to convey, and I'm going to get this a lot more deeper when we get into Colossians. There's a lot in this seed that most of us are not using. We are not experiencing it. We are not operating it because we don't even know everything that is in this seed. We are <coughs> in Christ. Christ is in us. There's a seed that's been that's in us. And we are, some, a lot of us are experiencing one aspect of that seed, but there is a whole package. There is a whole treasure. There's a whole richness to Christ being in you, that most of you, I'm not just talking about money. There's more to Christ being in you than just the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of your sins is foundational. And we'll talk about that a lot more next week. But it's rich. In other words, we don't need to get something new. We need revelational knowledge of what we already have in Christ. I want to say that again. We don't need something new. We need to know what we have in Christ. We already have the healer. If you want healing, well, you already have the healer. You have the fullness of God. You can't have the fullness of God and God said, you know what? The healing department, we just, we, I'm sorry, we ran out of that. It's on back order. No, if you have the fullness of God, you have the healer. He's, where, where is he? He's not here or there. He's in you. We already have the provider. El Shaddai, our provider. Okay? We already have the Savior. We already have the righteousness of God. We've talked about these things over and over over the last several weeks in the several series. We already have the power of God. We already have the wisdom of God. 
We already have the mind of Christ. And this is not an exhaustive. I can keep going. Early last year, we talked about the, the seven names of God. I could plug all those into these areas. And some of them fit in some of these names. Provider, righteousness, savior, healer. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Shalom. Our peace. Okay? We already have these things. We have the, when you have the fullness of God, there's nothing left out. But there's, this is describing there's much more in Christ than just forgiveness. There's healing, provision, saving. Saving, saving means deliverance, wholeness. Healing, provision, it's, it's an all-inclusive word. Righteousness. I could be talking about this coming November. Okay? Let's go, Second Peter, let's look at this in the Amplified real quick. Grace and peace, that special sense of spiritual well-being being multiplied to you in true intimate knowledge, okay, of God and of Jesus our Lord, for His divine power has bestowed on us Absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through a true and personal knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. There's so much in this, it's so amplified, it's almost complicated. But it just, for, let me just go to this verse 3 a little slower. For His divine power is not going to, but it has already. Bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary so that you and I can experience a dynamic spiritual life and godliness. And how do we do that? Through a true and personal knowledge of Him who is called us by His own glory and excellence. And this is so rich. This is so rich. Okay, that's why I'm saying the richness of his glory is in Christ Jesus. And the richness of his glory is Christ in us. He's put this treasure in these jars of clay to show that the excellence of this power is of God and not us. Let's go back to Philippians. Paul's praying. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge. Let's look at this from Philemon. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging, same Greek word, of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Folks, we don't need more faith. We already have the measure of faith on this 12 verse. We need to release what we already have. We don't need more faith. We need to operate in what we already have. Philemon says this, that the communication of that faith may become effectual by the knowledge of every good thing that's in you. Every good thing. Let's look at this word communication though, real quick. And the, the Greek is, is uh, um, uh, koinia. Okay? Fellow, where we get the word fellowship. But fellowship is a lot more than just that. I'm, but let's look at communication real quick. Communication in the Greek means the release, the transferal, 
our transmission of faith begins to work. That's another way of saying that. Okay? This communication also means when we acknowledge every good thing that are in us in Christ Jesus. Actually, put these two sentences together. Communication is the release, transferal, or transmission of our faith begins to work when we acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. I know this is deep. I'm trying to give this as bite-sized pieces as I can. But, in other words, our faith that we are communicating begins to work when we acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. The opposite is true. When we don't acknowledge what's in us in Christ Jesus, our faith doesn't work. And that's where a lot of people are. People are frustrated. Most of you are frustrated. Most of you are asking me for money instead of him. Because your faith is in me because I'm in America or whatever the case may be. Your faith is not in God. And I'm not saying that to hurt you. I'm saying this as a pastor to help you. I am not your savior. I am not your provider. He is, and your faith needs to be acknowledged. You need to acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. You have everything you need to meet your needs. You have everything you need to meet the needs of one another. You have everything you need. You have the fullness of God. You have the provider. You have the God of all creation. You have everything you need to, to operate in faith. Because the just lives by his faith. And your faith does, I want to go back to this verse, does not work until you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. <coughs> How are you going to acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus if you don't even know what you have? But this word acknowledge is the same word knowledge that we are looking at in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. It's the same Greek word. And Paul says he wants our love to abound and increase as we know. Okay? Let's go forward real quick. Our faith becomes effectual when we acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. How many of you want your faith to work? Faith is supposed to work. This is not just a cliche. I do not just teach inspirational messages to feel good and make me look good. I am trying to help you. I'm trying to even help myself. But I need to operate this way just like I'm teaching you to operate this way. That the communication of your faith may become effectual. That word just always rings out to me. By the, what's the term, what's the key? By acknowledging. <coughs> we can be talking about faith all day long until the cows come home, but it will never become effective until we acknowledge every, not just some. You can talk about how God's your healer, but you don't like God's your provider. You don't like prosperity. You can talk about prosperity. You can talk about forgiveness of sins. But you don't like it when people talk about healing or people talk about prosperity. No. When your faith becomes effectual, when you acknowledge every good thing which is in you. It's not, you don't need to get it. It's already in, where is it? It's in you. It's in seed form. 
in you, in Christ Jesus. Until we acknowledge every good thing that's in us, the release of our faith will be ineffective. Another way of saying this, until we acknowledge every good thing that's in us, the communication of our faith will become, will remain, and it won't become, it's already ineffective. The effectiveness of our faith will increase proportional to our knowledge. Your, the effectiveness of your faith will increase proportional to what you are acknowledging. That's my next screen. It's not about what we do. It's about what we acknowledge. The word faith. Let's go back. This word faith is a noun. It's not a verb. Faith has to have an object. And the pastor, me, America, a different country, a different person, is not where your faith is. Your faith is in God. God might use people. But your faith is in God. Before every message, I, 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 I give a call for tithes and offerings. Okay? 99% of you don't give. You listen every week, but you don't give. I'm not putting that down. That's just a fact. My faith is not in you. My faith is in God. My God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I can preach it. I can teach it even from Paul how it's you should support the pastor. You should support the ministry. So if you want me to support your ministry, and get you, you come to my ministry and ask me to support yours. That's backwards, according to Paul. My, I'm not trying to get on your case. I'm trying to make a point. Is that... I lost my point. <laughs> now that I said that. My point is that don't put your faith in me. Put your faith in God. Faith is the now. Trust God. The effectiveness of your faith will increase in proportional to, to our knowledge. I'm not in you. Christ is. God is. The fullness of God is in you, not me. I'm not in you. I'll never be in you. Okay? <coughs> uh, in other words, Jeremiah says, when we trust flesh for our strength, it's a curse. But when we trust God, it's a blessing. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Okay? It's not about what we do. It's about what we acknowledge. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying here in Philippians that our love would abound, would abound in the knowledge and discernment of God's love. That's what he's praying. That's what he's saying. That our love would abound in the knowledge and discernment of God's love. But he's also praying that we would approve the things that are excellent. And that we would be a genuine and sincere with our faith. So there's three things that I want to cover over the next, uh, our time left that we have here, running out of time. But Paul is praying, Paul is saying that our love would abound in the knowledge of the discernment of God's love, that we may approve the things that are excellent, and that we would be genuine and sincere with our faith. So there's three things that he's talking about in these three verses that we're talking about so far. We spend a lot of time on this first one, knowledge. But I want to spend now, uh, now I want to look at, begin to look at the second one. Okay? I guess I'm still looking at this one according to my notes too. Okay. In other words, Paul prayed, and we spent a lot of time on this already, but he prayed that, that I 
Pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Okay, we look at knowledge a lot. Let's look at discernment real quick. Okay, and then we'll go on to the second point. Okay, hope I didn't confuse you with that. Let's look at this verse from the King James real quick. See, the, the New King James that I normally teach out of uses the word discernment. But the King James uses the word judgment. If we don't understand this word, we can totally misinterpret this word judgment. Does that make sense? <coughs> okay. This word judgment or discernment used in this verse in the Greek, it means perception or discernment. Kind of like epigenosco, sorry if I can get that word out, I still don't even know if I said it right. It's almost the same definition for epigenosco knowledge. Okay. See, our love for God and others doesn't increase by, our, by, by experiences or touches from God. So many people are, they, they, they will tell me stuff about how they experience uh, a dream or whatever from God or this or that from God. And I'm not saying, those are special. Those are awesome. They can be. But, but our love of God doesn't, doesn't increase because of that. It's not because of an a, a, a experience or touch from God. Our love of God and others increases proportion to how much we know and discern God's love for us. According to what we just read. Okay. Experience can be part of that process, but wrong knowledge will lead to wrong understanding. You can have an awesome dream or vision of God, but if you have a wrong knowledge about God, you can have a totally, your doctrine could be totally wrong. And your doctrine is not based on what you experience. I mean, if, you're, if your doctrine is based on what you experience instead of the Word of God, you will, you, your whole teaching, your whole belief system will be, will be misconstrued. And you will teach others wrong. Okay? Experience can be part of it. But our experience needs to be lined up to what the Word of God says. To the knowledge of God. If your experience is different than the Word of God, something is wrong. Something is off. Okay? And it will lead you to a wrong understanding. And if you understand something wrong, you will teach it wrong. For example, I had a misunderstanding about righteousness for years. And so I taught it wrong. I taught, I believed, and therefore I taught, that righteousness was right doing. That's not, that's not true. Righteousness is, righteousness is, is being right with God. The way I teach righteousness, righteousness is, is a noun, it's not a verb. It's right being, it's who you are. The word righteousness is used over 500 times in, in the Old and New Testament, and it's, it's, it's a noun, it's not a verb. Righteousness is, is, is being right with God based on what Jesus did, not what you did. If you can be right with God based on what you did, then in one sense of the word, you're telling me you don't need Jesus. And that is whole, totally wrong. Anyone who preaches that they can get right with God based on what they do and not what Jesus did, that is not even Christianity. That is Antichrist. That is saying you are saved because of what you did or didn't do, not because of what Jesus did, and that is wrong to the highest score. 
And if you believe that, you will teach that. And, and I may not have taught it that extreme, but I believed a portion of that wrong, and so I taught it wrong. And my wrong knowledge led to wrong understanding. So much that when I got the right revelation, I threw all my notes and teachings away. And that's why I'm going to be teaching on righteousness coming November. See, wrong understanding will affect your also your love walk. If you think God is mad at you, if you think God's out to get you, if you are afraid of God, there's a difference between being afraid of God and walking in the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord meaning respect, honor, trust. There's a difference. I've taught on the fear of the Lord a year or two ago. Okay? Wrong understanding about God can be a misconstrued in your whole walk with God. Okay? Let's go back to Peter real quick. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and in the life of, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Everything you need for life and godliness is in the knowledge of Him. Okay? Our love can be increased with the correct knowledge. And Paul prayed that we would know his love. And judgment, discernment, is the ability to apply that knowledge correctly. As we understand knowledge, we can apply that knowledge correctly. As we discern it and understand it. And Paul prayed that as we gain understanding of God's love, and as we apply his love correctly in our relationships, then the manifestation of God's love in our lives will increase dramatically. Once there again, Paul prayed as we begin to understand God's love and we apply his love correctly in our relationships, then the manifestation of God's love in our lives will increase dramatically. So we're dealing with three points here this morning. What is Paul saying? First of all, our love when they abound in the knowledge and in discernment of God's love. And then second, we may approve the things that are excellent. So let's look at this real quick, the second thing that we're trying to highlight. Let's go back to Philippians. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. We just spent a lot of time chopping this up. This leads into verse 10. Let me read it again in context. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment that you may prove things that are excellent. If you do this, that we spent the whole last 30 minutes or so talking about, then you can do this. As your love abounds more and more in the knowledge and discernment, you can prove things are excellent. You cannot prove things are excellent if, you don't, if your love for him is not abounding more and more in the knowledge and discernment. Am I making sense? That you may prove, approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. We'll talk about this in just a moment. Okay? So verse 10 again. That you may approve the things that are excellent. Let's talk about this word excellent just for a moment. Okay, we're at verse 10. Word excellent is translated better in three different verses in the New Testament. The same, the, in other words, the same word that's translated excellent in this verse there, uh, Philippians, 
And the same word is translated better in three different verses. And, uh, uh, and one of those verses I'll highlight, for example, Matthew 12, 12, of how much more value than is, is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is, unlawful to do, it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus was having a, a confrontation with someone who was talking about the Sabbath. And Jesus was saying, you as a man, you as a human being, are more important than a sheep to God. Okay? Does God not care about sheep? Yeah, he does. But you, according to God, you are more important. Therefore, Jesus' argument about the Sabbath is, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's not about keeping a bunch of Sabbatical rules. It's about doing good. And doing good is more supreme than not working on the Sabbath. In one sense. Okay? It's more, but he's saying, you are more important than a sheep. Okay? My point is, that the same word excellent is the same word better. Okay? And it's uh, better or more valuable. Okay? Same word. This, the, the, this word excellent is also translated of more value in two other scriptures in the New Testament. He does this in Matthew 10. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. You are not only more valuable than a sheep, you are more valuable than a bird. Okay? That's, I'm just trying to dissect what the word excellent means. And it just helps to see the word used in other scriptures. Okay? So let's, let's put this together. Approving things that are excellent refers to judging discerning better things. In other words, when you understand that you are more important than a sparrow or a sheep, it's, discerning, it's judgment and discerning scripture correctly. And when you... Uh, can judge and discern things correctly, you can approve things that are more excellent. This is just an example. We as people are more important than a sheep and a sparrow. And when we understand, when we when we understand, when we judge and discern the knowledge of God correctly, we can approve things that are excellent. This is just an example. Okay? That making sense? <coughs> When you don't, let's put this in reverse. If we don't judge and discern scripture, the knowledge of God correctly, then we will not approve things are excellent. And when we come across scriptures about sheep and sparrows, somehow we think that they are more important than us. That is wrong. That is a misunderstanding. That's a misjudging and discernment of the knowledge of God. And we begin to we begin to call things excellent that are not excellent. We, 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 we get backwards and misconstrued in our theology and belief system. And if our theology and belief system is wrong, the whole foundation is wrong. If the whole foundation is wrong, then everything we build on that foundation is wrong. It's a shaky foundation. And there's a time coming that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But if your doctrine, if your belief system is wrong, and the thing that you're calling excellent is wrong, the thing that you're judging and discerning is wrong, then everything, everything you build on that is wrong. And, it, and when, when the shaking starts, when the, tr when the tree is shaken, it'll fall out. <laughs> but when you have a good foundation, no matter what you're shaking, you will stand. Too many Christians 
settle for things that are not bad, but they are not God's best. Okay? There's some things that are just not wrong in and of themselves, but they're, they're also not God's best. And I want God's best. Okay? He created me. He knows how I function the best. He has a plan for me, a plan not to harm me, but a plan for a future and hope. God knows the plan he has for me. God has a plan for you. He has a definite plan. But when we try to do it, when we don't know, we don't have a good discernment and the knowledge of God, we are going to settle for things that are not God. They're not his best. They're not bad. They're not wrong. They're not sinful in and of themselves. But they're not God's best. <coughs> and why do you want to settle for second best? When God has a, something beautiful for your life. Okay? Look, let's look at this verse from the Amplified, Philippians. So that you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent, identifying the best and distinguishing moral differences, and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. See, many Christians think and act like those who don't know God. Many Christians, maybe even some of you are watching, and you know someone, you know someone, there's many Christians who think and act just like the world. There's many Christians, many, I'm talking about Christians, I'm not talking about the world. <coughs> many sincere Christians are think and act like they don't know God. You, you know, you act like you don't even know Him. And Paul and all four of these prayers wants us to know and experience God. But we act like the church should be acting different than the world. And I'm not just talking about sin and stuff, even though all that can fall into place with this. But we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the people of God. We believe different. We think different. We act different. I'm not just talking about sinful things. I'm talking about we have faith to move mountains. We have faith to do things. We should talk and act and think differently. But some of us, we might not be saying bad things. We might not be doing evil things. But we are, in some ways, when it comes to matters of faith and unbelief, we are just talking like the world. Well, I know God can do this. I know God can do that. God's already done it. He's given it to us. And many of us act like we don't know God. <coughs> I can go so deep with this. Okay? But having their love abound more and more in knowledge and judgment would change that. When you know God, when the more and more, I gotta, I gotta slow down. The more our love abounds in knowledge and judgment, we can change the way we think and we can change the way we act. How do you change? How do you change not being like the world? How do you change acting and thinking like you don't know God? Get to know God! How do you change it? Get to know God! Know His love! Discern His love! And you will change how you think and act. If this is a qualifier of how we are we are just like the world, then let's change the qualifier the way it's supposed to be. 
I don't know that how I said that makes sense. But if this is the common denominator that changes how we think and act, then let's do it God's way. Let's do it the way God designed it to work. Abounding more and more in his love through knowledge and judgment causes our recognition of what is excellent to change. Folks, the more I know God, the more I spend time in God, his word, his presence, it changes what I see as excellent. It changes my values. <coughs> I understand through COVID and different things that some, in some places God, the governments are shutting down churches. In my point of view, because I know in God, he can't shut down the church. Because the church is a spiritual force. It's not a building. It's not a 501c3 organization. The church is the body of Christ. It's the household of God. It's the temple of God. It's the family of God. It's a spiritual thing. And something that's natural can't give it, and it can't take it away. You can't shut the church up. Because even if you kill us, we go to be with him. And every time the uh, Christian is modern, it actually explodes the gospel. It doesn't shut it up. It makes it more powerful. Persecution makes the church more vibrant. I know that sounds bad, but when you know, I don't, I'm not doing these things to be persecuted, but I'm not afraid of persecution because I know my God. And I have a different recognition of what is excellent because of my knowledge and judgment of God, discernment. It changes how I see it. it. I have a different perspective about COVID and about everything going on in the world than a lot of people do because I know God. I'm of a different kingdom. I'm of a different race, a royal race. I'm a king and priest to my God. And abounding more and more in his love through knowledge and judgment causes hypocrisy and sin to disappear. Let's go back to this prayer. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Paul prayed that our acknowledgement of God's love would abound. Okay? But increasing our acknowledgement of God's love leads us to being genuine and sincere without offense. That's the third thing that we're going to do with you. Paul was saying, Paul was praying that our love would abound in the knowledge of the sermon of God's love and that we may approve things that are excellent. And we would be genuine and sincere without offense. Let's deal with this third thing real quick, okay? I'm basically out of time, but let's see how far I can get, okay? That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. See, anyone who is falling into sin is not perfecting God's love in themselves.
And Paul says, in Romans, anything that's not a faith is sin. So anytime your faith is not effectual, anytime you're, you're, anything that's not a faith is sin. And sin is falling, is falling into sin. It's not perfecting God's love. The fact that we're struggling, the fact that we have unbelief, the fact that we need to increase our faith shows us that we are not perfecting God's love. Because faith works by love. That's not to get on your case. That's to find out where the problem is. If we, if we fix the problem, we'll have a different re reaction, response. Okay? That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the name of Christ. <coughs> Let's look at this word sincere real quick. Sincere. It means judged by sunlight, unannoyed, and un alloy, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and uncontained, pure. It, all, it, it also means to be judged by sunlight. Let's look at this real quick. Sunlight. See, in ancient times, and this may happen today in some countries, I don't know. I had to look all this up some time. It was a little history lesson. But devious ancient potters used to cover cracks of their pots with wax and paint. They were devious con artists, okay? And they would try to sell them, okay? But when held up to the sun, the wax would be revealed, okay? Good pots would be marked with sincera. I, I forget what, I think it's Latin, if I could be wrong. But, which means without wax, okay? In other words, Paul prayed we would be sun-tested to prove we don't have hidden flaws. Okay? Who's the sun? Okay? Philippians 1.10 So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for, for the day of Christ. Increasing our understanding and application of God's love will cause us to have a better discernment of right and wrong. Some people don't know God and they can't discern between right and wrong. And, and the Bible says in the last days people will call good evil and evil good and people don't know the difference because they don't know God. And because they don't know God, they don't have an understanding and they can't discern right and wrong. We need to be sun-tested so we can know right and wrong, good and evil. Going back to our, our second prayer from last week, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. See, comprehension comes through being rooted and grounded in love. And Paul prayed that and that, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may prove the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. See, everything Paul prayed is a result of having our love abound through knowledge and discernment. That's why I spent so much time on, on, on this. Again, discernment and judgment is the same Greek word. Okay, in this case. Everything Paul prayed is a result of having our love abound. So if you don't hear anything I've said in this message, 
focus on your love abounding in the knowledge and discernment of God. We receive the love of God through faith at salvation. And we increase our experience of God's love through knowledge and discernment or judgment. This leads to better discernment of what's right and wrong. This also produces sincerity and pureness. We don't have any cracks because we've been exposed to the sun. And sincerity results in walking without offense. And if these things are working in us, the fruit of righteousness follows causing glory and praise to God. Putting these three verses together. Let's look at this phrase, the fruit of righteousness, real quick. We're, we're, again, we're over time, and I'm trying to wrap this up. All the fruit of the righteousness comes from God's love. You know, this fruit of righteousness is awesome. I mean, I love talking about it. It's the fruit of righteousness. It's not the root. It's the fruit. What's the root? God's love. What's the fruit? Righteousness. If, if you want more fruit, focus on more of the love of God. That makes sense? <coughs> we can talk about all the, the byproduct, the fruit of the but you, what, what we, what, what do we, we can focus on? There's so many things I'm talking about. But the focus is, so, is singular. We're focused on God's love. You can't get any of these results that we're talking about if you don't focus on God's love. But if you focus on God's love, then you can have all these things, including the fruit of righteousness. See, abounding more and more in His love through knowledge and discernment causes our recognition of what is excellent. To change. Okay? And abounding more and more in his love through knowledge and judgment causes hypocrisy and sin to disappear. We already talked about that. But abounding more and more in his love through knowledge and judgment also produces the fruit of righteousness. So there's three things that we're seeing. It, let's go back. It, it, it causes our recognition and what is excellent to change? It causes hypocrisy of sin to disappear, and it causes the fruit of righteousness. Any love that does not produce all these things is not God's true love. If these three things that we talked about are not the results, then it's not God's love. Let's again talk about this fruit of righteousness. <coughs> Proverbs says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Righteousness is like a seed that produces fruit. And the seed of righteousness produces the same fruit as the tree of life in the garden of Eden. This is powerful. Do you want the same fruit that Adam and Eve had from the tree of life? Then you need the seed of righteousness. Okay? Anyone who leads others to this righteousness and the eternal life it produces is wise, according to Proverbs 11.30 that we just read. James also talks about this fruit of righteousness. He says, but the wisdom that is from above, there's two kinds of wisdom. In verses 14, 15, 16, he said, The wisdom that's from the earth is earthly, it's natural, and it's demonic. 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. There's that pureness again. We talked about that briefly a minute ago. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. You ever met someone who's not willing to yield? Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, the King James says they're not willing to be entreated. You ever meet someone you can't even get a word in? You can't even talk? You can't even share your side of the story? Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. We brought that up already. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. See, discipleship yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. What do I mean by that? Because Hebrews also talks about fruit of righteousness. Now, to no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present. See, the word chastening, the word discipleship, or the discipline, is very similar to the word discipleship in the Greek. It's almost identical, because it's basically the same word. Being a disciple, being disciplined, is someone who's chastened. It's the same word. We get all caught up about chastening, because that's how the translators use the word. But it's discipleship. It's, dis it's discipline. Okay? You ever meet an athlete, a scholar, who's not disciplined? Someone who's not disciplined is immature. Okay? No chasing, but no chasing. Even, even, you ever see an athlete do good at the Olympics? They went through a lot of chasing to get there. You can't meet an athlete. You can't meet someone who succeeded in some career who didn't go through a lot of chastening to get there. But during the process was not joyful for the president, but it was painful. <clears throat> Every athlete had to go through pain to get to where they were professionally. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This whole verse in Hebrews is quoted from Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, chapter 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, not, not detest it, his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And this is in the same context of, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tab of your heart. And so, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And it goes on. And in verses uh, 7, 8, and 9 talk about finances, about being disciplined in our finances, which brings us to uh, what the writer Hebrew quotes, no chasing seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, and this is where Hebrews adds on, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. To those who have been trained by it. In part, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Proverbs chapter 3, which is a whole other teaching. I've taught on this when I taught about wisdom, when I taught on the fruit, I taught on the fruit of righteousness, I taught on wisdom, uh, in other teachings uh, in previous years. Uh, and the, we can be trained. We can be trained. Okay? It's sown in peace, and we can be trained by it. See, all the fruit of righteousness comes from God's love. It, abounding more and more in love through knowledge and judgment causes our recognition of what is actually to change. It also causes hypocrisy and sin to disappear, and it causes the fruit of righteousness. So in this, this prayer, and I know I'm basically 15 minutes over, 
but being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. Paul talked about this in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 11. Okay. Abounding more and more in his love through the. Sorry, I'm losing my one thought. So let me slow down here as I'm trying to wrap this up. Being filled, Paul's praying, this is the end of his prayer, verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. God is glorified. God is praised when we do this. See, when we are abounding more and more in his love through knowledge and judgment, it produces fruit that glorifies and praises God. We are abounding in the fruit of righteousness. And any love that does not produce all these things that we talked about in this lesson today is not God's love. God's kind of love, in closing, is, is patient, is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong, doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves, never fails. And this, I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, and being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I know I went through that a little fast and we went over time. Next week we're going to get into Colossians chapter 1. Talk about the, we'll, we'll spend two weeks on this. Okay. And we talk about the four prayers of Paul. A lot being said, I wish I had a better conclusion this morning, the benediction, but I just hope you're getting something out of this. There's something that Paul wants us to know. And we need to know his love. We need to know his love. Abound in that more and more through the knowledge and discernment. God bless you guys. Again, we're not having Bible study tonight, but we will see you on Wednesday. God bless you. All right.